Welcome to the Fortnite-themed episode of Always See Everything. I'm uh, the podcast where we talk about uh, Criterion movies. We rank them, we review them, we rate them. Who cares? Uh, I'm Anthony. This is my co-host, who is Sean, who is currently looks maxing. What, what looks? Yeah, so right now I'm hammering away at my nose bone because mm. my nose bone isn't good enough to ever get a girlfriend. So mm. I'm giving myself bruises and minor fractures constantly and just hurting myself and having a big ugly red bloated nose um i'll give it a rest for now but you know that because that's what women like is when you just injure yourself because your self-esteem is just so insanely low that you're just constantly taking part in self-destructive activities yeah. they like that that's the only way that you can be a chat you're taking a pickaxe of course because this is our first ever Fortnite themed episode it's it's gonna be it's the oh, first fuck, i thought it was minecraft themed. themed nope nope you could still use a pickaxe, though. You know they they're in both. They're in both. Yeah, games. thankfully. You're really building up your looks. You know you could. It applies either way. Uh, this is the, and uh, today on um, today's episode, we're we're gonna talk. I know um, Paul and Pressburgers. I know where I'm going. Brit, uh, Douglas Sirks, written on the wind. Uh, the unbelievably great to sleep with anger and the similarly awesome 12 angry men because this is we're angry boys who play fortnite uh, fucking so we're, we're i'm so pissed that i have no gf and that's why i'm looks maxing and that's why i'm playing minecraft and fortnite at the same time right at now. the same damn time and subway surfers but that's just <laughs> uh sean what did you think of this week because i had a ball i loved uh i liked one of these movies and i loved basically every other one yeah when an emmerich powell and eric presberger thing did i fuck that up are they different uh, one of them's emmerich. It, it's it's michael powell and emmerich pressberger yeah eric and emmerich Yep. Great. Awesome. Um, no, it's what, not anyway, much. whatever their what, names are. <laughs> Michael yeah, Powell, like, Emmerich Pressburger. Well, you know what? Whatever. That's fine. But when they have the weakest out of the week, then I think mm. it's going to be a pretty damn good week. It, that sure is. And it was. And twas. And yeah, was. Yeah, I. We had to, you know, throw this together. We, uh, you know, we were put on a, the back foot a little bit, so I didn't know what the fuck I was going to pick. I picked 12 Angry Men. It's the first movie I thought of. I mm. just, I went to the AI generation word processor that is my brain and asked for a movie that we have not seen and mm -hmm. is in the collection, mm -hmm. and that's what popped out. And sure, sure. Anthony followed it up with a very strong pick. He hit him with the left hook from out of nowhere, so mm -hmm. I'm pretty happy with how this yeah. turned out. Given how spur of the moment yeah. everything had to be. Uh, yeah, I think this is uh one of our best weeks of all time. To, is that is that is that is it too early to say? I don't. I know you might have some some opinions about that, but I I think that it's really hard to, to topple this one along with the the girl week. Remember the girl week, the mm -hmm. week where we we talked about only girl movies. Ooh, that was a good week. Without I know where I'm going, this would be a boy week. 
Really? Well, Written kinda. on the Wind is a girl one? What are you talking about? Kinda. A little bit. Twelve Angry Men and To Sleep With Anger are both big boy ones, though. Mm, all right, all right. Let's let's get let's dive right in. Let's talk about I know where I'm going. Uh, it's it's fun. Uh, let's uh, let's let me read the description here. In Michael Powell and Emmerich Pressburger's stunningly photographed comedy, comedy, romance flourishes in an unlikely pr- place: the bleak and moody Scottish hebridus that was my second guess wendy hiller stars as a headstrong young woman who travels to these remote isles to marry a rich lord stranded by stormy weather she meets a handsome naval officer roger livesley livesey who tr- threatens to thwart her carefully laid out life plans uh i'm gonna this is i don't you know every once in a while i just compare a movie to another movie and it makes you so mad when that's like my first take but i'm gonna do it anyway this is the Hallmark movie original. This is the first Hallmark movie. What if there was oh, a woman yeah. who was like driven and wanted to do the thing that she wanted to do, dang it, and that meant getting money, and that meant doing her own thing, and that meant she don't need no man, and she was a city slicker. Oh, one of those, you know, and then Except for the man who is she is marrying for his money. But you know, that's right, right. that's fine. <laughs> And, and oh man and then she she gets oh she got she gets told like you can't do that you're you're a, then a quirked up country woman. boy the c- country boy he comes around and the hog so thick it's just dripping out of his jeans sheesh all right okay you are way too descriptive about these things sean uh but yes sure and she does she uh and she comes upon this this guy who really teaches her the way it is you know and and i like those stories sometimes on occasion i my mother really loves those stories uh but i i get really really tired of them i know where i'm going is probably the best version of that you're ever gonna get Mm -hmm. it's very familiar much Mm -hmm. like the main character in this film uh to be like a shitty newspaper critic about it but you'll know where this film is going but you'll be just fine (laughs) taking along for the ride that is the end of the review (laughs) <laughs> that's it. that's the nah, that's the I'm big plan but you know uh but you pointed out how this has almost certainly the record for most number of times it says its own title especially in the first few minutes because mm. the opening sequence which is incidentally one of the best parts of the film because it is just a quirky fun whip smart quick little portrait of this lady so that you know her deal. We are very used to the cliche of, you know, kind of the driven, career-focused lady who kind of is is going a little bit too fast and needs to slow down in her life. Like, that is a cliche at this point where you can just put together a few signifiers. But mm. at, the, at this point, when we hadn't quite developed that, then there is a sense of, like, justifying, like, this is the kind of, this is her kind of deal. And in doing that, it makes her, like, it makes her out to be sort of like a cartoonishly focused and driven and ambitious character. Like we have a scene in the beginning with her dad that I really like where she like, mm-hmm. she calls him dear a lot. She's like condescending yeah, to darling. him. Yeah, darling. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, darling it was. But she's like kind of giving him the business, like being very controlling. She's an endearing character because she's just like, she's just a little bit annoying, but not too much, you know? 
Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, Endearingly annoying. I thought that this was going to be a... I, I was kind of hoping hoping that this was going to be the opposite of this movie, where you have a woman who's like, oh, yes, I know where I'm going. I have big dreams, big plans. I'm doing these things. And then she goes and someone tries to get in the way and she's just so bullheaded or that's not even the right word. That's, pro- mm-hmm. that's probably a little too, uh, she, she's so strong willed. She is so, she asserts her dominance and her, her power and, uh, her ability she flexes to, on him. She goes right. beast mode and her ability to do her, what she want, wants to do so well that, uh, you know, all, all the people around her are like, maybe women can be, can know where they're going. You know what mm. I mean? And uh, instead, this was kind of the opposite, and I was a little disappointed at that. That being said, it's a beautifully filmed picture. Uh, the acting is pretty good. I don't know if I'd go as so far as to call this a comedy. I guess it is, but it's not that funny. But the, the jokes that are there can land. Um, it's it does have a good script. It's right. I mean, I'm always a sucker for anything that relies on coincidence as a narrative device, like a central one. Yeah, and not, <laughs> really? not, yeah, not necessarily convenience, but coincidence, where it's sure. thoughtfully and intelligently set up. You know, not to solve problems, oh. but to create new. Yeah. Problems, you oh, one hundred percent. I my you know, one of my one of my guilty pleasures is just the opening sequence of uh, Home Alone. <laughs> and home alone too where it's like oh it's just so, then then the power line oh the power line goes out so that's why they're late and because they're late they're in such a rush they forget Kevin is upstairs and you know and oh oh my goodness the neighbor kid comes by so they count him thinking he's kevin because he happens to have his back to them at the that entire time because that to me is like it's like a rube goldberg machine right it's 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 watching the this movie just set itself up is so endearing and yeah i know we're satisfying about it it. it is satisfying yes tokyo godfather is what really solidified that in my mind Ooh, good pick yeah another that's the one where i'm like that's yeah christmas new year's all of them and Mm -hmm. yeah it's about like the just ain't life crazy Life. life comes at you fast Life That's what they should have called that sure. movie instead of Tokyo Godfather. Not crazy. <laughs> Life moves pretty fast. <laughs> Life comes at you fast. Like like I know where I'm going and written on the wind where the title doesn't really mean a lot. <laughs> hey, written on the wind. Do we have to have two separate episodes where we talk about how written in the wind's title is good? Yep. Yep, we do. I'm going to keep arguing with you. In fact, it's going to continue. Um, but I know where I'm going is is great because just like in Fortnite, there's a they're on an island. And there's a oncoming storm that feels mm. like it's really like honing in on her, and and it's impossible for her to escape. Um, that's why I know where I'm going is actually the ultimate Giga Chad movie, and I, I've kind of said my piece. That's why this whole episode is is Fortnite themed. Mm-hmm. Can't you see the decorations? The the llama you know pinata. no yeah i i'm not silent because i'm disagreeing with you i'm taking <laughs> notes yeah you're writing down how much you think that this is a Fortnite themed episode well that's a cute another cute little thing that works in the script's favor is the storm is a very blatant metaphor mm-hmm. for this kind of encroaching you know storm of the heart right and she's always right. talking about like hey stop stop being so sexy 
Like, stop right. doing this. Stop being so cool. Because I am immediately, like, sh- you get the sense that she gets the sense of, like, oh, no, this guy's too dope. Right. His swag is too different. They'll I kill mean, I him. Love, like, I love that it, she has they, immediate trouble of, like, okay, you're going to sit over there. I'm not mm-hmm. dealing with this. Now, I don't want right, to yeah. be seen with you in, in because that'll just lead to one thing or the other. I don't want to be charmed by you. We can be friends, but I'm going to keep myself from you just because I know I don't trust myself. Not only because it's, like, the proper thing to do, but, like, a lesser movie would have that be the main driving force. It's just I'm trying to be proper, and you're, mm-hmm. you know— rough and tumble ways are like getting in my way but instead it's just no i'm i like it is immediately obvious that i'm attracted to you go away i have other things to deal with like kind of like i know how this goes i've seen this movie which is really compelling because it's very adult i mean there are sometimes you are in that situation where you're like i can't not be around you because i'm attracted to you whether it's because i'm with another partner or whether it's because uh like you're just i'm not in the place in my life where i can be with someone or or whatever or there's some aspect about you that i that i cannot uh be with i know that doesn't work or not compatible we're divorced whatever it is right Mm -hmm. like that is a very adult uh situation and i for a movie that feels very old-fashioned you know you you kind of don't expect that but it is very immediate and i know where i'm going handles it tastefully without it being kind of uh uh cutesy about it right you Mm -hmm. know without it uh, without it ever feeling like there isn't that threat it feels he feels like a threat she likes that guy he he's attractive she's like threatened by that and And uh, he's throwing her off his off her game right exactly and that's what's fun about it is that it's i think it is kind of like cutesy in a sense because it's about giving she is this you know modern liberated woman who's just she's leaving behind the old-fashioned ideals of of romance and everything she's gonna get her bag she's gonna you know she knows where she's going she has this life plan set out she doesn't want to be distracted by I would, I would be very careful fantasy. about calling her a liberated woman, though, because I think oh, yeah. Ex- the, the idea well, like, of the liberated woman tends to uh, have sort of a counter, which is the person who uses the, the liberate the quote liberated woman, the woman who uses the term liberated woman to mean get money, depend upon men to be able to satisfy my my lust for pleasure in this world i guess you know well that's what i'm saying is that she has that mythology of herself as someone who is who is independent and in control right. of her life but it's kind going. of yeah I, it's, I, I like like the movie i'm trying to say it as many times as possible yeah it's an illusion because right. ultimately like yeah she's beholden to this person that she doesn't really love she's lying to herself she's being you know inauthentic and like there's that is not like yeah that's the adult thing to do but the movie's kind of like the you know you don't have to you don't have to conform to whatever your standards and what you think is important to do and like your your ultimate you know illusions about what makes your own life worth living is not like that's not the be all end all you can allow yourself to be to be taken off you know taken in the the winds of romance you know right. maybe the storm is is just the cleansing rain that will 
wash away your your illusions about your conception oh, of self. That's so poetic, Sean. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> it's like Fortnite, you know. It, it it's really... like Fort. It's like Fortnite. It rhymes, you know. Hopefully, it'll you know, work. It's poetry, right? Yeah. Uh, it, it washes away any preconceived notions you had of yourself, and then you just you know you disappear into the storm. Uh, and then you die. I agree. I like that it also has an air of. <laughs> I mean, again, Hallmark magic, like, you know, whether it's Christmas magic or whatever other, there's that aspect of like, oh, if you count the beams, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a thing where it's like, if you count the beams, you might get your wish or whatever, but you won't well, get your wish from then on. And because what she I think. wants to stay one night, she, that little bit of weakness is what eventually ends up, that destiny brings her together. In the same way, there's like this castle that the guy won't go into, and it turns out the curse is, he's gonna love a woman, and he's gonna be chained to her forever, you know. That, that mm. kind of thing. Well, here's the thing that I think really separates it from, like, the Hallmark thing, and why it feels so different is, like, why do people not like the, the Hallmark films is because they're about, like, getting rid of cynicism from your life, but in a product that is just insanely cynical. Like, just sure. this pure, pumped that's out, a great, like, that's a great... cultural, barely yeah. even artistic project that's just like, yep. why the fuck are you telling me to, like, you know, dream and love? And love? I don't want to hear that coming from you. But in a film with, like, real craft and endearing characters and mm. a tighter script and like that's it, it, it it's a completely different thing in my mind so i think that calling it hallmark adjacent is fine because I, i'm not right i'm not being derisive i'm just saying oh yeah i, I know totally, you're not it totally is that i just mean I, like it feels like this is a template it feels like i actually was watching this and i'm like and here's the moment where she has to deal with like Oh man, I gotta, I gotta get away from this place, and she's gonna reject the sort of feeling, and then, of course, she's gonna come back, and the guy's gonna prove his manliness, and she's gotta be like, I was like clocking it, but also, you know, it, it's, it's a good movie. It's a pretty, mm. it's a pretty darn good picture. It reminds me of when I try to recommend something that people consider cliche now. Like if I try to recommend uh, Back to the Future to friends or whatever. They're like, oh, isn't that just, like, a cliche movie? Isn't it like, oh, he does the thing, and, like, he has to punch the person, and he has to deal with the thing, and, oh, he's got to get the girl at the end. Like, And I'm like, it's Back to the Future. What are you talking about? It's like, it, yeah, sure, it does. It created some ideas. Our, our ideas about time travel kind of, you know, really borrow from Back to the Future, but that's because it was Back to the Future. So I'm not saying that this yeah, is like cliche. It's like, exactly. I think that this is... I didn't love this as much as I wanted to, but I, I think this is an iconic movie. I kind of think that it feels like a lot of uh, a lot of modern filmmaking trends and, and these sort of, you know, cookie cutter way are taking from this much better film than any cookie cutter has ever made. You know, mm -hmm. it just we're all emulating uh, whatever. Uh, Giordano's pizza or something or Giordano's pizza is is emulating sort of a deep dish some great deep dish Chicago pizza place and it just emulates that forever but that deep dish pizza place is still good you just you know now have eaten the prepackaged you know chain version of this all right we're <laughs> <laughs> broke right. down a little bit too much i don't think you needed a metaphor there i, I, think, I think you it was already just said like yeah it was yeah, let's move stuff on is based on it be like okay cool but all right hey. stuff is based on it the original recipe is still good is i guess what i'm trying to say
But Giordano's is that like okay? The best forget pizza? it. You know what? This is this is it. This is the end of the podcast. <laughs> are we done? Starbucks pumpkin spice lattes are good. Just because you've you know had the light creamer that's pumpkin spice, or you've had the you know Keurig pumpkin spice, you might look back at the the Starbucks pumpkin spice and be like, oh well. It's just the same thing, right? Because we've seen that a thousand times since then. But you go back to that original Starbucks, it's still good. This movie is still good, I guess. Is that better? Yeah. You like that one better? Yeah, sure. I don't really drink coffee. But I okay. guess. Well, I'm not, listen, I'm not trying to... Whether it's good or not. I'm just... That's my... I'm not trying to frustrate you. I just want to make sure that everyone else is on the same page. Because, like, this might be something that is just, I don't get, and everyone else is like, yeah, they're nodding sagely. Yeah, Giordano's, of course. The the classic Giordano's metaphor. (laughs) The Giordano's metaphor. It's like poetry, it rhymes. Um, Uh Yeah, all right. Let's let's transition out of this. Do you have anything else to say about I Know Where I'm Going? It's it's charming. Um, Well, I do want to observe just something that kind of stood out to me a little bit not that i think it's even anything on the movie's part but in the beginning when she's having dinner with her dad and somebody mm. makes a side comment about like hey you know the war is still going on i'm like oh yeah that's kind of weird it is this was during world war ii and that's just something you kind of casually mentioned we're so used to world war ii films being about that but here it's just right. kind of like flippantly mentioned and yeah you know it keeps coming it... up it was a big event i hear what People I like getting to think all about up in a hubbub about it is how are we going to do that with like COVID-19? Are we going to start setting? I mean, other than Knives Out, has there really been or, sorry Glass Onion, I guess. Is there really been a movie where they're like, oh, yeah, the, the pandemic's still going on anyway. <laughs> Wasn't <laughs> like, there that like the Steven Soderbergh thing? Like Kimmy? Oh, right. Kimmy. But that was I about think, that. Yeah. Yeah. It's a little bit more. I mean, it's just, hey, and yes. And my. My agoraphobic tendencies have been aggravated by the fact that, like, going right. outside could kill me or whatever. Like, it it, it adds a level – I mean, obviously, it was scripted, apparently, before the, the pandemic happened. But it feels like that movie really, really internalizes the pandemic a lot mm. and really makes it like, no, no, no. What if you were afraid to go outside is our premise. So we are going to really emphasize her, like, putting on the mask. Like the sound of her breathing, you know, and that kind of thing. So that's how I feel. That's true. I call them muzzles, actually. But I think it's good because I have a pet <laughs> play fetish. <laughs> <laughs> that's where you were going. Uh... I'm pro mask, but I call them muzzles because it's a pet play thing. I, I just, I know I literally just said that. I'm not retaking it. I want you to retake it. I just it want now. to say it again, again so that people understand. Say it again right now. Go. So I call masks muzzles, actually. But what you think is like, oh, he's accidentally, or no, he's intentionally, uh, he doesn't like COVID, or he doesn't like mask for COVID. But actually, I like mask for COVID. (laughs) And the thing is just, I have a pet foot fetish. So I I don't know. That's just kind of my thoughts on that. Yep, that was terrible. All right. Let's move on. Let's let's move away from uh, I Know Where I'm Going to our next film on the list. Written on the wind. Uh, Sean, you got a description for us because this is a this is a good peach of a movie, and I, I really want to dig into it. But I want you to start us off. 
The Technicolor Expressionism of Douglas Skirt reached a fever pitch with this operatic tragedy, which finds a director pushing his four individuals and his critiques of American culture to their subversive extremes. Alcoholism, nymphomania, impotence, and deadly jealousy. These are just some of the toxins coursing through a massively wealthy, degenerate Texan oil family. When a sensible secretary has the misfortune of marrying the clan's neurotic scion, it drives a wedge between him and his lifelong best friend that unleashes a mulch of psychosexual angst and fury. Featuring an unforgettably debauched, Oscar-winning supporting performance by Dorothy Malone in some of Skirt's most eye-popping mise en scène, written on the wind is as perverse a family portrait as has ever been splashed across the screen. This is, like you said, this is a peach of a film. It's a mm -hmm. big, bright Georgia peach, and it's just so lovely to bite into. I'm gonna slam down a big old Trent coin right now. Here's the mm -hmm. here's the the sound effect. Notice that it's a little deeper than usual because it's a big coin. Here we go. It's a oh, it's a, a big boy, big fella. The opening sequence to this film that starts us off. Look, I hate the song. I don't think the song's good. I, I know you. It's really bad, but it's funny. It's funny. That's the thing. It's funny. And the opening sequence setting up all the characters by showing you a scene that will happen later in this movie, but like in the most like gaudy, cheesy, uh, over the top, campy way possible. It's the door fabulous. coming open I don't and think all the leaves seen... blowing in. I checked Crazy. if the, the the copy of the movie I was watching was busted. Uh, if it was uh, like being played at twice speed, that car is going faster than any car has ever gone in the history of movies. Like I, that's just how guys used to drive back. In the day. <laughs> Fast and the Furious has nothing on on this guy on this character is driving around drunk, right? Kyle, this, which is a crazy name. Kyle, Kyle's a cra Kyle's nuts as a name for for this kind of movie. He looks like yeah. Sean Penn also, um, which is a great combination. A guy named Kyle who looks like Sean Penn. Um, yeah. I love this picture, and the way it starts immediately just had me at attention. I'm in this. This is amazing. I can't believe I've never seen this before. And then about. 20-ish minutes in, or maybe a little longer than that. When when the sister is really fully introduced as a factor in the movie, I was like, oh, I've seen this. <laughs> I didn't remember a lot about it, but I immediately was like, oh yeah, there's a lot of iconic scenes in this movie, and this is one of them. The fight in the bar. Got it. Cool. Seen this This before. is also my second watch, and it, it didn't take me quite as long. I mm. think it, I got it in the opening sequence. That's what stuck in my mind. Reading the oh, premise, sure. I was like, this sounds familiar. I wonder if. And then once I heard the song, I was like, oh yeah, it's all coming together. It's a fabulous picture. Sean, I, I want you to take the lead on this though, because I feel like I really dragged this through. I know where I'm going. I mean, Cirque, we talked about all the heaven allows. What is it about this that makes this tick? Because I'm so, just blown away by it. In contrast to all that heaven allows, which had this sort of, all of his films have this sort of gothic adjacent feeling to it, where it's like yep. this being trapped by this this stifling conformity and, and architecture, you know, both literal physical architecture, which is incredibly iconic in all of his films, like All That Heaven Allows, so American suburban slash American rural. And this is very much like decadent Southern Gothic. Like, this is William Faulkner if he had stuck around just a little bit longer family dramas just these like portraits of these 
huge empty mansions um, mm-hmm. with all of these pastel like i love the the weird pink walls in the mansion where it sort of feels like you know how like a hanna-barbera cartoon where i have the consistently yes! scrolling background and everything yep. is kind of like uniform like that's mm. how all the hallway scenes felt but oh all of goodness, the rooms too room. are like ah. the like the what appears to be kyle's room it's not really remarked upon but he has these sort of eastern style decorations and the and the shade and everything like just these sort mm. of subtly tasteless little affectations through the set decorations oh, for all so the, good. the guy the the dad having the big portrait of himself and the little oil tower mm. this, there's just this incredible sense of place and yeah like you talked about the scene in the bar i'm not surprised that that reminded you of because it feels like a western right like right downtrodden dirty like little bar like every set feels like it has so much identity and because every like every single part of this feels like it is it's obvious and it's meant to be kind of in your face but in a way that's very carefully curated like here we have a barkeep character who's a very like traditional sort of barkeep but in a way where like everyone has these I mean, the script is just so glowing. Like, every line is clever and jokey. And a lot of lines are very obvious. Like, hey, your torch is burning. And then lights his cigarette. Or, mm-hmm. you know, when she, when at the end, Dorothy is... Or, Dorothy, I think, is the actress. But whatever. Uh, Dorothy mm-hmm. Malone, I think her name was. But I'm, M something? It was like Mary uh, Lee. Uh, I got it. I'm pulling up the cast list. I believe it's Mary Lee. Mary Lee, good. yes, you got it. Nailed it. Yeah, that's a great she's name. Kind of, oh my gosh, Mary Lee, that's a great name. When she's holding the sort of phallic oil tower, like there's mm. a lot of on the nose stuff here. But it's like it's just the perfect culmination of this soap is, opera. Right? His like, name is Jasper. I didn't catch that. The the dad's name is Jasper. Oh, it's that's perfect. A, that's a crazy name. That. For an, for a, for an old man to have like hmm hi my name's Jasper I own an oil company what <laughs> but it makes sense because everybody's a cartoon character right right you're right it has like and the dynamics are just incredible like the main relationship I think more so even than um, Lauren Bacall's character and Kyle is mm. Kyle and Mitch like there's something you can read you know homoeroticism there i think that it's almost more interesting to read it as not homoerotic right although there's plenty there if you want to i think that just having this this sort of masculine bond of mutual jealousy and resentment and i think i mean it's kind of an archetypical male friendship uh, where there's this like what binds them is not just they, they've got this brotherly bond, but also there is inherent conflict there. Like, it, there's this this thing of like, oh, you know, you're always going to be, you're, you always are kind of the best. I'm so resentful of you for always being the best. And the other guy being like, no, I'm trying to like be better for you. And then Kyle being like, well, no, that's, that's BS. You're, you're trying to be better because you, you think that that means that you win or whatever. Like the inherent competition between them. I think, look, I'm I'm sure that there, people can, like I said, like you said, there's definitely homoerotic uh, readings of that. But I think that I find it even more interesting as just a a male friendship and sort of a 
uh, an exaggerated version of what that's like uh, mm -hmm. and how and how that sort of in uh, dissecting that and looking at the aspects of how males relate to other males in the same way that this movie looks at uh, the, the way that men and women relate to each other. We have a lot of men and women. How do they relate to one another in, in this movie? What's going on? Yeah, other than 12 Angry Men, which is just a... Which is very pointedly not good. about that. Yes, yes. It is, it's, I think a wife is mentioned. Women are confirmed to exist <laughs> in the 12 Angry Men yes. universe, but that's Certainly. about as far as we get. Right, right. Twelve Angry Men is almost a a. There, I mean, there's the woman who looks in the window. I de like that. That's a witness. Ooh, somebody was hugging a woman in the beginning. There we go. Sure, yeah. There, there certainly are women in the universe. Just none of them are named. Yeah, um, that's fine. And you know but, what? That's how it right, should that's, be. That's, ah, that's, just playing. <laughs> ah, Fortnite. Ooh. Um, uh huh. Fortnite. None of them women in Fortnite. Um, I think there are famously. Based on some of the pictures I've been seeing, fucking Dang. popping up banner ads. <laughs> that that those were the banner ads on the Russian illegal streaming website we had to watch this on because we couldn't find it anywhere. This is a hard movie to track down. I actually found a copy at one of my uh, Blu-ray stores and almost bought it. And then it was like, what if I don't like it? And then I watched it, and guess what? I loved it, and now I want to buy it, but now I feel bad because I'm like, well, now I'm not going to watch it for a long time because I just saw it. Yeah, so teaches me to, to pirate. Um, I think that this movie, it does what Douglas Sirk does best, and I think that I like All That Heaven Allows more. I think All That Heaven Allows is a slightly better picture, just by a little bit, but I think that what All That Heaven Allows does is makes a lot a lot of things way more subtle written on the wind is not subtle at all ever once period full stop it is a it starts with a guy driving the fastest he's ever dri driven walking out like he opens the car door and you it doesn't actually happen but you basically can smell the like beer coming off them it's like when in rick and morty he like opens the car door and like a bunch of bottles fall out it's that level of drunkenness he stumbles he takes a big over-the-top swig as he looks up at the thing you see that uh oh my goodness the woman laying on the the bed she's you know kind of faint or whatever while rock hudson sort of just bulks himself up by the door or by, or by the window oh and then there's the the blonde woman mary lee she's oh she walks in her nightdress very daintily towards the window and then he opens the door and boom the, the, the drunk kyle walks in and oh my gosh the wind is howling and the music is playing and there's a sound of a gunshot and maybe a scream as someone stumbles out and dies and the movie you know fades to black or whatever and then you st and then the movie starts right that is so maudlin it's so ridiculous i love it so much this it's is the week of hard ass opening yes yes i mean it's, it's not the hardest because we know what the hardest opening possibly what? of all time is but it's a damn wait good contender. wait what's the hardest opening of all time it's a sleep uh, of anger oh 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 that's a good that's a good like battle wait a second okay all right I think I that one goes better a little bit but i i oh oh that's tough that's a tough one. I think To Sleep With Anger is a better movie. I bar Barely. I think these are mm -hmm. all really close. I love all these movies, uh, except for I Know Where I'm Going, which I like. Um, but, oh my gosh, that's a really tough, that's a real tough one. Um, 
But it very much announces itself and says, look, we are going to be ridiculous. This is going to be one of these kinds of pictures. Are you in or are you out? Mm-hmm. Period. And you and you just got if, – if, if you like this, then you're going to love the rest of this picture. If you don't like this, then you, you should leave right now because it's just this from here on out. It's just okay. such an announcement. I'm really focusing on this too much. Rock Not as a good as time as any for me to ask. Is the picture thing, are you, like, doing that on purpose? What? Calling movies pictures? Uh, I picked it up in the middle, in film school. I started doing that because uh, a lot of the stuff I was reading called movies pictures. And well, uh, I, Yeah, I, but I just, you've been it, doing it more this time around. I think that I, when I tend to talk about older movies, I tend to, like, mm. really, like, emphasize it. But I'm not doing, I'm not being conscious about it, if that makes any sense. I'm not, like, sitting here being like, oh, well, it's an old movie. I should say, what a picture, you know, okay. or whatever. I am because with the Fortnite thing, you kind of Fortnite thing is forced for sure. Yeah, I don't know if you were doing like a similar thing there and just trying to get me to like pick my poison, so to speak. No, no, I always no. I I think in film school, I read a lot of stuff that called movies pictures because they were older films. And I think that at some point I just started when I was right when I was typing, when I was writing my reviews, every once in a while I would throw in. There's only so many ways to say like a mo- this movie good, right? And mm-hmm. so sometimes you have to say this film is good. This or, picture this good. Picture is good, right? This flick, right? Like Kevin Smith. And so mm-hmm. I think I just decided every single synonym for movie is the way I say it. And then when they are older movies, I tend to say picture, um, a, a lot more. Especially if okay. I'm really wowed by it, I'll say, oh yeah, that's a good picture. But I'm not being conscious about. It. I'm not trying to like pull one over on you. No, the Fortnite thing is. Fortnite thing is real. The Fortnite thing is <laughs> listen. Fortnite, it's real. I'm sorry, to, sorry, liberals. Exists. Yeah. Oh, you can't, you can't deny it. You can't deny it. I heard they put it in our vaccines. Mm, yep. Oh, that's all. They that's put slurp juice <laughs> yep. in our vaccine. <laughs> that's pretty good. Gark, gark, gark. Um, I definitely sh- felt more shielded after I got my vaccine. Um. Mm-hmm. I think that Lauren Bacall, I think that obviously Rock Hudson is, they're, they're both giving these, uh, they're both giving mother ridiculous performances over the top that are, they're like wax statuettes. Rock Hudson is so good at, uh, at sort of posing and making every single moment feel like it's just out of a like Sears catalog or something. Mm. Um, I like Robert Stack as Kyle Classic guy. I like Kyle a lot. Do you think Kyle is a better performance than Rock Hudson in this in this? Movie? I don't think so. I think Rock Hudson is just like, I mean, maybe it's just his look. Maybe it's just the type of guy he is. But mm-hmm. I don't think anybody, uh, he's perfect at that. And he's always perfect at that. Right. It's just a matter of how much you appreciate it and how much the movie needs it. So right. I think it's almost kind of useless to talk about him being better or worse than anybody if that makes sense right i yeah i kind of agree i i think that he's just a, he's just himself i think it's kind of I, I he's a movie star he's kind of got a samuel jackson type air to him where you're like yep he sure is samuel jackson what what else did you expect there's no one okay. who's ever going to top being we've had some crazy comparisons today <laughs> i was just gonna gloss over the rick and morty thing but while we're at it <laughs> Like, that's your, like, okay, what would everybody get? Nobody understands the concept of somebody being drunk. But what if 
What if I thread I in the Rick and Morty? Rick and Morty? I meant that it's cartoonish, and that's why I was using Rick and Morty as an example. Okay, well, I think by doing the Rick and Morty thing specifically, of... you've abstracted your intention. Okay, fine. Dang. I'm Listen, a... I don't mean to be I'm riding really... you today, but just like, yeah, we gotta really get these numbers this episode up. down, dang. Um... What do you think of uh, Dorothy Malone's performance as Mary Lee Hadley? Because these are the four core performances, and Mary Lee Hadley comes in at about like a little before the halfway point, and suddenly becomes the most important part of the big, the film. It's yeah, really I mean, she's like when I think she's being kind of venomous and resentful. I mm-hmm. I like that, and I think it's good. But where I really like is where she's sort of like scared, not scared, but sort of the the tragic villain where she's like yes. listless and alone like i love her on the pulpit at the end when she gives her testimony and you think she's going to flip at first but she just she decides to do the right thing and it is she's just so she she feels sort of like adolescent like we, well as i say like we were just talking about like we were talking about last week mm-hmm. um but she has this sense of like dignity and yet like standoffishness. And I don't know. It, she seems to have a very good grasp on like the tragic elements of this character while still making her sort of distasteful. It's like distasteful and tragic at the same time, you know? And I right. think it, it ends up working really well. I, I agree. I think she's inarguably the worst of the four performances, but that's not by much. I think she, I, think I don't know. I think her and Kyle are, of a of a stripe i very much felt like even again these are very archetypical characters but i 100 percent have met some mary lee hadley's in my life there are definitely some people out there who are Me. who are <laughs> yeah they, i was i was trying to i was trying to go around it Sean. Oh, okay i'm sorry i didn't give you enough credit <laughs> but sure i was trying to talk around it but i've definitely met some mary lee hadley's in my life and uh they're you but I, and I think Dorothy Malone could play you and should in this the upcoming biograph, The Sean Story. And she will. Yeah, it's We're called The Sean Story. It's going to be a great picture, Sean. Don't you like that picture? It's going to be a great picture. You're going to be the producer and you're going to take all my money. You're going to take yeah. so much advantage of me. Mm-hmm. That's going to be fine. Not in a bad way, just. Taking your stacks, Robert Stacks. Monetarily. Yep. Yep. Uh, but, Sean, I think it's time to go full Hulk. I think it's time uh-huh. to get angry. It's, oh, you wouldn't like me when I'm angry, except I think we really like these movies. Mm-hmm. Ooh, 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 you would like me when I'm angry. It's pretty good. Uh, Porno Hulk? You, you, you wouldn't like me when I'm angry. Okay, okay. Dang. Okay, not bad. We got Charles Burnett's To Sleep With Anger. Charles Burnett, who's part of the L.A. Rebellion. Big deal, big filmmaker. Uh, and the description for it goes like this. A slow-burning masterwork of the early 1990s, this third feature by Charles Burnett is a singular piece of American myth-making. In a towering performance, Danny Glover plays the enigmatic southern drifter Harry, a devilish charmer who turns up out of the blue on the south-central Los Angeles doorstep of his old friends. In short order, Harry's presence seems to cast a chaotic spell on what appeared to be a peaceful household, exposing smoldering tensions between parents and children, Tradition and change, virtue and temptation. 
interweaving evocative strains of gospel and blues with rich poetic realist images to sleep with anger is a sublimely stirring film from an autonomous artistic sensibility a portrait of family resilience steeped in the traditions of african-american mysticism and folklore you're right i forgot how good the opening to this movie is it's so let's it's, talk about that first like, it starts with you you know you go for it no you got it you got it it's basically like a short film about our one of our main characters because this is mm. it's a fully ensemble cast i think yes. like every member of the family is essentially equally you know they can lay equal claim to main to character. call to call gideon the main character would be forgetting the fact that the last third he's like not in <laughs> yeah but doesn't it feel in the beginning like he is the i mean he is the main character in the sense that the family you know being a traditional family and the mm. sort of traditional nuclear family sense of an old school traditional no nonsense dad who wants his boys to be men wants them to grow up right wants them to stay in line you know to a, a flawed extent like mm -hmm. gideon is kind of the, the central spinning wheel but i don't know his wife is also like there's also there's a sense of both the the parents more so than just the father or the mother being the ultimate center of everything and also the grandparents, because although it's mostly alluded to, Gideon's mother um, was born into slavery. And mm. that seems, it's acknowledged by his younger son to be something that he, he seems to base a lot of his life around. Seemingly guilty in a sense that he didn't get to experience that. And, well, I, I'm getting ahead of myself. The opening scene is Gideon in the fucking sickest white suit you've ever seen like i need that fit it would look mm -hmm. racist on me of but course. it's such a fucking tight fit sure um, sure and the bowl of fruit which is just burning up like such an insanely cool image and then mm. it's the the light but effective special effect of the transposition on top of yep. gideon as he starts to burn up in in succession and the song I forget which song it is, but it's played a few times throughout the film. And it is just so fucking cool. I think it's like immediately just stunning. on the wind. I think that's how it starts. I think that's what it is, actually. It's kind of <laughs> weird, like atonal, but you know, I guess it works. But right. it is just when I say a hard ass opening, like it is, it is hard in both in like a good, you know, actually you know, artistically very valid sense, but also in the original this goes hard thing of like a monkey a cgi monkey smoking weed with a golden gun like it's just such an insanely Whoa. powerful image right you're right there's there's a lot of iconography to deal with there you know what i mean yeah and just oh my god i i want to ask you first of all like why do you think this jumped to your mind because it i as i recall pretty quickly after i said like 12 angry men was my pick you were like this is the one windmill slamming it down well, I, I had it's been on my list for like what my watch list for this podcast specifically for a while because I've seen it before. Uh, mm. Again, it was a uh, it was a film school pick. Uh, I I uh, like someone in class was some professor was like, oh, we should watch *The Sleep with Anger*, um, and I remember it being 
I think it was kind of one of those last day of class type th- deals where we didn't have to write about it or really talk. We, we just had to, or I think we had to watch it and then we talked about it, but it was the last day of class and everyone knew we weren't getting credit for it or whatever. We were all kind of tired and wanted to go work on our papers so that we were done for the, for the week, for the, for the, for the semester or whatever. And, um, I really connected with it. I really loved it. I thought it was a powerful bit of filmmaking, and it just, um, I, I found it a little extremely strange, and I wanted to get more into it. And I remember that my professor introduced it to me the way that I think that everyone should be introduced to this movie, kind of. Or maybe not everyone, but like there's, by saying, okay, so this is a movie about a household that is going to be visited by a man. That man is the devil. Yes. And then we watched the movie. And I loved that opening because then we, like, immediately, like, just seeing, like, all right, and that's that's To Sleep With Anchor. Anyway, let's watch it right now. Like, that basically makes you, it, it, as soon as he walks in, you go, okay, he doesn't seem that bad. And then the slow unraveling, you slowly understand this movie's play. I think I love this movie a lot because it validates my own feelings about what that implies a little bit, right? Mm. I, I, I'm, I'm, as I've talked about, like, I'm a Christian, of course, but also uh, I very much think that, like, the idea of evil is something that can be very, very, very banal. Something that's very um, quiet and just a... a, a uh, a, a little bit of wind that goes by that stokes the fire that eventually spreads into a larger flame. Subtle uh, in its dealings. Exactly. Uh, there's a part in broadcast news, which we will watch for this podcast. Maybe one of, maybe in my top films in the entire Criterion Collection. That's why I'm kind of holding off on it, because I know that it's so good. Um, but broadcast news has a part in it where uh, one character says that another character is the devil. He says, like, he's the devil! Because you think the devil would come down and he'd be like, oh, he'd uh, he'd be evil and he'd do evil things. No, no, no. He would come down and he would just, it would be very charming and we would all like him a lot. But he would just slowly, ever so slowly, erase our standards. Just a little bit. And by the end of knowing him, we'd be, we'd be worse off people. And I think that this is an explore. I, I saw this movie before I saw broadcast news, but I think this is an exploration of that feeling, of that knowledge that it's the devil doesn't come down and say, "All right, well, fire and brimstone, and I'm going to change everything," and you know, oh, like whatever big whatever politician you disagree with or whatever uh, a person of interest in our culture who has done some horrific thing is not the devil. The devil is that little voice inside that says. But what if you just gave up a little bit? What if you just let yourself be not that great a person just a little bit more? What if you gave in to your anger, to your uh, loneliness, to your selfishness, to your strife, to your whatever it is? And the struggle against that in a household is something that I can very much relate to and something that I very I, I think is a tale that we should continue to tell. And I think this tells it fabulously. I think it's 
written well. I think the cinematography is powerful. I think that the characters are pretty much fully realized. I I don't love Junior very much. I think that he he drags the picture down a little bit. I like Junior because mm. of that exact reason, though, that he's not mm. fully realized. Because every time that it comes to him, every time you know he needs to say something. He mm. always kicks it over to talking about how much his brother sucks. Like, he is just so, he seems so vacuous. Sure. Just in the sense that, like, he's sort of been destroyed by the expectations to be the good son. That he doesn't yeah. even know what it means to be a good son. All he knows is to compare himself against the bad son. Right, is to be better than that one. He just, he only knows how to be able in, uh, in relativity to Cain. I, I totally think that yeah i i, I get that right 100 percent. sure uh i just i guess that i just think of him as the one-dimensional character but you're right there is some dimension to that one dimensionality mm -hmm. i think that these are uh that this is uh, danny glover's performance is one of my favorites i wouldn't say it's one of the best performances ever but it's one of my favorite performances in movies um, because he does not, because he's Danny Glover, you don't expect him to be this, you expect him to be the, the sane, rational one next to Mel Gibson, right? You ex expect Danny Glover to be the, the, the sort of um, steady hand, right? The one who's keeping everything, everyone uh, going. And the fact that he's not that at all is, is amazing. It's, uh, it reminds me a lot of Beloved, another da Danny Glover picture. Where he's, oh, yeah. I haven't seen the film version, but yeah, the the book, it is 100% this. Another Jonathan Demme picture, actually. We talked about that last week. We talked about Jonathan Demme yes, last week. Another very strange Jonathan Demme picture. But yeah, uh, he, he plays sort of uh, – you don't quite know about Danny Glover in that, picture, in that film. Um, but this movie, Harry, it's the same way. You kind of come in with this expectation of this guy is clearly given a lot of significance. The birds are going crazy. He's he's the, the horns tooting in the background. This guy must be important. Probably a bad, bad news. And then it's immediately cut off from you. You don't think he's that bad. But the way that he just plays sort of just a slightly bad person is is enough to completely corrupt and throw into throw this entire family into a spiral is well i don't think it's so much just that he is like a conventionally bad person and that he has conventionally mm. selfish motivations and desires i think it's more that he is he is magical right. and like magical in in a sort of like old world distant from like kind of the opposite of christianity in a sense where it's like what do you do mm -hmm. like a cult you know like it, it almost feels like the film is his ritual like his blood sacrifice to some greater purpose and some higher power um that we can never fully understand and it, it feels like there's this idea that like he brings a legion of demons with him like all of his old friends who come right. and invade everyone's house and like there's this this great sense over the whole thing of like we never see anything actively supernatural happen but mm. behind the scenes like the gears that are turning is something are are things that are beyond this world and beyond our understanding right and yes the, the way that they deal with them ultimately is sort of beyond their understanding too and there's ways to read into that but yeah it, he is like he feels like a dark warlock 
truly. Mm-hmm. And the way that so many things are shrouded in mystery, like just the right amount of things, like we know he has kids, we know they died, we know he was almost certainly involved in the deaths of many people. Like he mm-hmm. is just this, and yet he's when he comes down, like Gideon and his wife are like, "Oh, Harry, it's awesome!" Like he's their friend, and he's this. Mm-hmm. He he feels very he much fun, like folkloric. Right? Like well, they, when he comes in, they're they're like, "Oh, great, Harry's here. He's gonna we're gonna have a fun time." You know what I mean? Like there's this like, "Oh, sit down, Harry. Tell us your stories. Like let's you know we'll have a party at one point. We'll do all these things." Like there's a he's like he, they're good and bad. Like if if the devil showed up, he'd be fun. <laughs> You'd have a lot of good times, you know. Well, I. I don't know if it's just that, though. I think that Mm. even more than, like, the temptation aspect and everything, like, Mm. the level of control that he has feels sort of like... It's... It's tough to pin down, but it feels like he's this... Like, not the Grim Reaper exactly, but sort of like Mm. this... This person who is, like, a manifestation of of like the old world and of supernatural forces that have been kind of lost touch with like he's the inheritor of like of like this old world kind of magic i guess like i i just i i know i keep saying it but i keep coming back to just how magical he is right and like however you know what it made me the dead owl there's There's like, the, the he keeps talking about his Toby. There's all that stuff. Yeah. yeah, and the the chickens that he kills, like sacrificing birds. It feels like mm-hmm. he's sort of reminiscent of old pagan religions like Santeria or, or Buddha, I guess to to put a finer point on it. Which one thing? Now we're gonna ca- kind of get into the things that I think like stop me from giving my full ten out of ten endorsement of this. Mm. Even though I really, really like it and will probably like it more on a rewatch, is yep. I feel like this should take place in New Orleans. You know, like is that okay. just completely random and out of nowhere? Because New Orleans is kind of the. It's. I think the that's American. The thing, it's the old. It's the old coming into the new. New Orleans would almost be. Uh, too old, right? Like, like there, like the idea is supposed to be. I mean, look, we can. We are not qualified to talk about this very much about uh, like no. a black story, of course, right? Like, we're not qualified to talk about the the implications that this sort of has. <laughs> so much so, you literally turned off your mic. That was funny. Um, but uh, the uh, but it's obviously Southern LA is a pl- is a point of um where a lot of these black stories really come from. A lot of uh, we're talking LA Rebellion. We're talking John Singleton. We're talking uh your you know, these it feels like southern la is a a touch point for sort of what what was at least in the 90s uh the the modern black experience and it feels like this is a character who came from maybe that old style of uh of, of black experience into this new place and i think that new orleans would not maybe reflect that as as much because it, uh, it still is steeped in that you're 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 muted you remember like i told you yeah i think that semantically it it conveys a different meaning right like i'm not saying it would be a strict upgrade to put it there but i you know what it really is just that i personally would like it more you know the movie <laughs> angel heart 
No, I do not. Okay. That's a really great movie. It takes place in New Orleans. It's not thematically very similar at all. Um, it has oh, like a little bit of those. That is like the backdrop. Mickey Rourke. Mickey Rourke. Yeah, Robert De Niro. It's like, it's kind of goofy, but it's also just an incredible, incredibly well filmed, good looking, like very sinister, very well paced film. Um, mm. And that is just like the perfect showcase of New Orleans as a setting. Of just mm-hmm. like pure evil. And this looks trashy as all get out. I'm excited. This looks what? This looks trashy as all get out. I'm I'm excited. It's I'm trashy, but it's also good. But it's also Great. funny. Awesome. It's not in the Criterion Collection, unfortunately. No, that's too bad. That, that it's going on my watch list is what I'm saying now. You know what? It should be though. There's an argument for it, legitimately. But oh, you know, the, my circuitous point here is that South Central LA. I, I guess I do get that there is like Harry himself creates this this sense of you know of sinister aura and, and darkness to him. And I'm not saying that it doesn't, you know, aesthetically deliver on that, but it does sort of feel like that's not kind of as utilized as maybe it could be. Like the, 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 the setting ultimately doesn't feel like and like the filming doesn't I think it could have gone a little bit farther. I would have liked a little bit more magical realism, but I think that it just kind of, it winds to a halt rather than sliding, you know, Akira bike sliding into a perfect conclusion. It's like, okay, it makes sense how all these things ended up, but I'm not personally, you know, it's, I I wanted there to be, you know, like one layer deeper of chaos and darkness and depravity and, Ultimately it's, ultimately, it's, like, a little bit more restrained than I think I would have liked it to be. Like, I want to see, because I love Danny Glover's performance here. Completely agree. Completely sign off on mm-hmm. it being just... I I would be fine with someone saying this is, like, one of the greatest performances of all time. Like, it's it's that good. Just how... It's really... I, I mean, I don't know if I put it there, but it's, about this it's in the conversation, for sure. At least as far as, like, the criterions we've covered, for sure. You know? And it's one of my favorite performances. Like, I think about this performance when I think about uh, great performances. But yeah, I don't... his eyes, man. I mean, like they say at the end, you don't realize how big his eyes are. Until the yeah, end. they're like big and red and like bloodshot. And he's just like, ugh. He's like perfect casting. Just mm-hmm. perfect performance. I love also all of the posters and how they portray him and kind of like, some of them in a sketchier style or some of them is like it almost looks like a comedy movie which it is it's a dark mm-hmm. comedy but he like comes yeah. he, he almost looks like uncle buck he's like hey everybody remember buck. me he's basically uncle buck i mean <laughs> yeah i bet we imagine if john candy <laughs> played harry <laughs> Imagine John Candy coming here and being like, like all of the racial dynamics and everything are still, but it's just John Candy. Like he talks John- like Harry too. <laughs> no, no, no. He doesn't talk like Harry. He's still talk. He's got to talk. Well, you know, I don't know about this. You know, he's got to be able to still talk like John Candy. That'd be really but like sometimes he has a racist voice. It's just oh my I, listen. Listen, no, I just I'm trying to imagine. Voice, like, Sorry to bother you, style by like by Danny or Danny Glover, like with the voiceover or whatever. Mm-hmm. I think we're workshopping. I think big things are happening on Always big See Everything episode forty one. 
Uh, we're gonna we need to workshop this. We need to hit. We need to hit the lab. <laughs> and with that, I think we're gonna talk. Look, right, unless you have anything else to say, I could talk for way too long about this movie. I well, think that's I, I want to. I do want to talk like, about. I want to talk about the editing briefly mm-hmm. because I wasn't sure if I liked it at first, but mm-hmm. I think I do. It's. I don't know. There's like. It's not like incredible in its proficiency i think but there is kind of a unique vision to the editing where it's got this sort of spacey a lot of things feel sort of disconnected like scenes just sort of flow into one another and and like sometimes without any specific rhyme or reason not not without rhyme or reason. it's not incomprehensible or abstract but it's like Sometimes you don't have a full sense of, okay, why is this being shown? Why is this being shown so matter-of-factly, I guess? Mm -hmm. Maybe there's just... It's not, like, very flashy. And it's, like, it's understated. Do you kind of get what I'm saying here, or do you disagree? Am I making any sense here? Yes, I think that other than that opening sequence, Mm -hmm. it feels like this movie almost doesn't uh this movie has an effortlessness to it and not in a sort of spielbergy type way where you're like oh my gosh he executed that amazing move and i wasn't even thinking about it like that was a wonder i didn't realize it not that kind of i just mean this movie almost feels um you, you completely melt into the filmmaking. The editing, it, the cinematography, the way that the, the pacing is done, the way that uh, the whole thing's put together, it's not documentary style, but it's so classic, it's so mm-hmm. uh, quiet about itself that you really, other than very a couple quietly ominous moments, um, they really don't touch you that much with it. I and I think that I, I I can see where you're coming from there. I don't think it, I have it, enough to say about it. I it's guess. paced like a predator stalking its prey, mm. and it takes a second to get into. But I think I do Physical. like it. Yep. And oh oh, can we spoil the ending of this movie? Oh yeah, he dies. Oh, Harry dies at the end. That's crazy. I forgot that that happened. That's insane. Yeah. He, well, that's kind of what I'm saying. Where it kind of sort of peters out a little bit is i don't Mm. i don't necessarily feel know how i meant to feel like is he is he dead dead i mean obviously like he's dead but he's stuck there there's no there's no removing him he's yeah and i liked i like the things that are going on conceptually but Mm -hmm. i don't know like the the pace just felt a little bit like oh you know this is how it is now like i almost expected there to be a whole other part to it it's unique feeling, but not in a way that I'm necessarily over the moon about. It's I a like cool what, ending. I I agree. I like how it ends. There's that thing he says, that, that Harry says, when he's asked, like, do you mean harm to us? Are you a friend? And he's like, well, it's like that guy, that kid next door. You know, he does the things. It, no friend would make you all sit through this annoying, you know, bugle blowing this entire time. But if he never if he ever stopped he wouldn't be eventually become good at what he does right Mm -hmm. and then at the end almost like almost magically right over the credits the boy suddenly is the perfect trumpet player which 
rules because like which is also i was so mad at tubi for just immediately going into the next movie because i was like no i wanted to hear the rest of it but i hate I, that i hate I it love so much. tubi because they've got bullshit uh, on there but sure. i hate that I especially hated that just because I was like, uh, like I to go, you know, it happens on Netflix or whatever. But at least you could just go exit out, go to continue watching, and then click on it if you wanted to. But mm-hmm. with Tubi, you would have to fast forward through the entire movie just to listen to the credits or whatever, right? And yeah. you're not gonna do that. Um, and so no, I, Tubi. yeah. But it's fat. Uh, but it feels like what Harry is saying is just I need. I am malicious. I am good at this. I am good at whatever it is that I'm trying to profit off of, whatever I'm, like, whatever good, whatever, whether it's uh, sort of temptation, whether you read him as the devil, or just he's a person with supernatural abilities, or a witch, or a warlock, or whatever you want to say, I am good at profiting off of whatever this is that I am doing intentionally, and I am trying to be better at it, and I will keep on doing it until I'm good at it. And the way when he dies, he is just always going to be there. That sort of feeling of there's no way for them to. It feels like it's a commentary for this family on whether it's their inner family strife or whether it's um, uh, the pro the 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 problems of African Americans in the society or whatever it is. Harry represents that where he's always going to be there point is that the family goes out and just leaves them behind and just says we're not going to dwell on this right now we're gonna gonna go out we're gonna enjoy ourselves as much as right we're gonna have a picnic we're gonna enjoy our lives as much as we can and yes we gotta deal with it oh sure we've got to get the corn and we gotta you know leave the note blah blah blah. we gotta do whatever it is that we gotta do but we also need to remember not to just dwell on it because it's always going to be there because he's He's a dead man. He's he's just gonna sit there forever, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, that's what I that's how I read that ending, and that's why the boy starts to, continues to blow his horn and eventually is able to to do do it better. Is that eventually it feels like Harry? It, this is almost Thanos kind of one, like like this is almost like Harry being like, yeah, but I'm always gonna be there. It's like yes, but the family also wins in their own way by being like, we're gonna mm-hmm. we're gonna find our our own way past this. Um, yeah, even yeah. though I, I get what I you're that, saying, that helps a little bit for me. But even if it I just, out a little I bit, I keep going back to it. Like I just kind of wish it went a little bit further. I want it to sure. be a little bit more, more crazy. You know, I want, I want the part where his eyes glow red and he starts throwing fireballs. <laughs> like that's, that's like this movie going being like fifteen percent <laughs> stupider is right. what I'm looking for, and I think that's ultimately uh, just kind of you know the kind, this is kind another... of guy I am. I, I don't want to be this guy, but I also think this is a very ambient movie because it doesn't do that, because it just touches the edge of that. That's mm. one of my favorite things, is just like, it's magic, maybe? Like, or it's just like a story about, like, a guy doing a thing. You know what I mean? What if, what if a guy was just weird? What if a guy, yeah, what if we didn't like him? Uh, yeah. We haven't. <laughs> what if Harry he's he slipped on some marbles and then he was like you know <laughs> what if that was Whoa that? wait what was that? I that, loved that, it but what was it? Was that, that a was, Fortnite one? Yeah that was that was the Fortnite death uh sound. When oh. when you die in Fortnite and that's the sound of Whenever I play Fortnite I have it muted 
I'm oh really my songs yeah that is i if guess i if anybody's I, talking I about a game that i played and they're like yeah you know the soundtrack for that is great i'll be like hey that's awesome i'll take your fucking word for it <laughs> it's true you i like my songs better though. probably yeah. and if i do like the soundtrack i'll listen to it after the fact Whatever. uh shout out Shout out to uh, Mary Alice, who plays Susie, the, the the wife in this movie. She's she's really good. And I just wanted to say, like, there's a lot also to dig in with the uh, male-female dynamics of the picture. The, the yeah. women in this movie are... Uh, um, some of the more interesting good. characters. Like... They're, I mean, right, but they're all... They, they don't do anything wrong, you know? They don't, I mean... I think that that baby bro's wife well ultimately you know she's obviously abused by him i think mm. that there's like there's some strangeness with them like she has this kind of distance and negligence towards her family and sure. you know she's sympathetic ultimately but I, I still think that she has this sort of weirdness to her mm. that makes her not you know fully without blame for for the problems of the family fair enough uh, yeah, I think that there's a lot to be said there, but we do not have the time nor no. the ability to cover that. So let's not talk about, let's talk about we got some anger issues. We got to talk about some 12 angry men. John, this was your pick, which is weird because I love this movie. I have this movie on a Blu-ray on my shelf. I have the Criterion. I love it. I, this is a classic in my household. Why did you pick it first? Because... Uh, it was the first movie I thought of when you asked me to think of a pick. Ten and that's as good a reason as any. Go for it. Twelve Angry Men by Sidney Lumet. Maybe the most radical courtroom drama in cinema history. Is it Lumet or Lumet? Uh, Lumet? I'll say Lumet. No, I think that's behind closed I... doors look at the American legal system that is as riveting as it is fair. This iconic adaptation of Reginald Rose's teletype starred Henry Fonda as the dissenting member on a jury white men ready to pass judgment on a Puerto Rican teenager charged with murdering his father. The result is a saga of epic proportions that plays out over a tense afternoon in one sweltering night. Lumet's electrifying snapshot of 1950s America on the verge of change is one of the great feature film debuts. Something that I did not like. Mm. Oh wow, you're starting off strong here. Yes. I hate the choice to show the kid. Especially in the beginning. If you're going to show him at any time, show it at the end. But I don't want to see him at all. I'm, I, you know what? I don't disagree. I think that is the worst part of the movie by default because it is. Because everything else is perfect. Yeah, that's, that's exactly how I feel. Yeah, 100%. That's my, that's my feeling. And I agree with that. Yeah, I, I think that this is, it's a perfect movie. That but is I, I really, that really rubbed me the wrong way. I mean, the way that, I mean, first of all, just to show, like, his race, I don't like at all. Because in the original, you know, play and in the script, there is very obvious references to racism. But the fact that, like, the race of the kid is never clarified, like, that just... That makes sense to me. That feels good mm -hmm. as a way to do it. Right, I, right. I mean, also, I'm going to be honest. I thought it was kind of fucked up 
when I watched this because it didn't occur to me that he could be Puerto Rican because in my mind when I read the play I always thought like oh they're talking about a black person so when right. I saw you know that he was Puerto Rican I just I was like oh it's a white guy what the fuck the movie doesn't work at all I guess you know it, <laughs> sure yeah but so that's that oh, was sure done. all right fair correct. enough but like I, I, don't put yourself up over it I I think that it's just I, I mean I just general I, I just mostly just think like what you said I kind of wish that it was a movie maybe where they didn't say exactly what mm-hmm. was uh what was going on there they if they had just let it left it uh not certain or not exacting then i think that it would have been even more universal and also just i don't want to be sympathetic for him and i feel like that one shot does uh with with a little like uh what what's playing behind him like a trumpet or something like a i don't know but it is like a sad music staying yeah sad it's a very good fade very good edit but it is mp3 is playing behind him and yeah Mm -hmm. it is so yeah, let's not let's not do that. Um, but yeah, otherwise, the rest of the movie is perfect, and I yes. will take no more criticism. That's it. You can't say anything else that is bad about this movie because there isn't anything else. Well, I wasn't planning to. That's a perfect picture, Sean. Shut up. No, you're wrong. It's perfect, Sean. Oh fuck! He's not listening to me again. I hate when I'm silenced. Mm. No, so, I I think it's so good. Do you? I have the book on my shelf, but do you remember if they made them sit in order? Oh, I guess they would have, because if it's a play, then it has the same effect of letting you know who's who. Like, every time I reread or watch this I've movie, never read this script or the book or the play or whatever. I've never you, read it. You basically I've, have. It's, I've it's only the same seen this movie idea. and maybe the, I think there's a short film I that I've seen that's like, like a, a short TV film. Of yeah, maybe something like that, and that's it. Uh, otherwise, my relationship, my, my relationship to this story is very much this movie. But every time that I, you know, re go over it, I keep mm. thinking like, "Oh, this is fucked up." I'm, I forget who's what number, and then within five minutes, immediately, I'm like, "Okay, this is everybody." Like it, it, it's such a good sense of character for everybody, an incredible balance of all the characters, all of the performances. I What I really love is the way that Juror 8 is handled here because mm-hmm. base, there are a lot of different ways to read the character, I think. And Fonda chooses to make him like very fallible, very human. And, you know, if you're Henry Fonda, like you can play it as like, he has this sort of immortal wisdom to him. Like he is on a level above absolutely everybody else. But I think that there's a very strong sense here of i am just a guy and i there are just a few things that bother me about it and that is quite enough to to make me like the savior of this kid like i'm not i'm not completely cool and collected i'm sweating like everybody else like juror number four is the one that really seems to have it all together until it kind of Mm -hmm. shows the, the cracks in the armor at the end but right right yeah, Juror 8 has, like, this incredible you're, you're sense of me up. I cannot even identify them by their numbers, I'm going to be honest. I know 8 is our main character. Mm-hmm. 4 is that... Uh, 4 is the, like, logical guy. The one that I, I kind of like, who doesn't sweat. 
Yeah, he's glass. Yeah, I kind of, I kind of wa- watched him and was kind of like, I might be on his side. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like, uh, like, like, I kept on thinking, like, look, I'm not completely convinced. I, I don't think I. Look, we can all project ourselves into this movie and be like, yeah, I'd be the guy who's like, oh, oh, you're not guilty or whatever. But whatever. I maybe project myself there too, but I also know that maybe in a in a different world I would be the guy who at least was saying like, nope, you still haven't proven it to me. That doesn't make any sense. There are ways to explain uh, out of this, you know. And um, I think that he really, yeah, he he kind of stood in where he's not malicious. He looks like Slugworth to be fair, but yes. he's not malicious. He's uh, just a guy too, and he. Yet he seems very much, um, and he seems very logical about this. He doesn't seem like, he, like it would be very easy to make the raving guy, the yelling guy, the guy who's clearly only being biased about this into sort of the centerpiece of, uh, th- that side, which he is, he is the centerpiece of the, like, he's guilty side, but he's not the he's not the only one you know he's not the he, there's are other reasons to think this guy is guilty other mm-hmm. than being either a flip-flopper like baseball man who's now that i'm thinking about it juror number five six seven seven, right? seven. Yep. i got it i got it you got there I'm now number i'm getting through the numbers now i'm starting you're to a numbers guy because eight because i remember eight and i remember one and two so i can just kind of calculate that way right um, yeah exactly uh, if you just, uh, it's so fun that you can just, because the blocking is so good, you just remember stuff like that. Um, but yeah, juror number seven is just, uh, is sort of flip-floppy. You've got, you know, juror number two who's very mousy being thrown around by them. It's piglet. Like, yeah, pig, <laughs> Piglet. Yes, 100%. Well, he um, literally is Piglet's voice. Is he really? That's yep. awesome. Oh, I'm going to tell my sister that because we both love 12 Angry Men and her favorite, uh, like one of her the things that you get her a picture on uh, of on something is piglet you know like oh you want to give her a mug with piglet on it or whatever um i'm gonna tell my sister but regardless that that's a such a he he is such a uh oh well he's just following the crowd he's just doing the thing that everyone else is doing and you can immediately see yourself as being like aha that guy i'm not like that guy so i wouldn't you know do that i'm also not a bigot so i wouldn't say the things that they're all saying right mm-hmm. but maybe you are like juror number you said five right the the man who mr. Has glasses is four mr glasses four you maybe you are like juror number four who just he just it's really hard to convince him not because he's biased he's just very much of the facts of the the case and well i, like I think that, juror four's but... finest moment is when juror 10 who's the racist guy goes on his big rant and four mm-hmm. is the only one sitting down not yes. you know not facing him because uh-huh. he needs to be the one to tell him like you're done it's over yeah and like the fact that he takes on that responsibility is yeah it, it speaks in a really interesting way to his character and that's just one of the many moments of like incredible intentional blocking i think that in addition to the like that that feels like a powerful moment of oh they all turn away from him because they they defy him and everything but at the same time they're also not telling him to stop and so yeah you're right there is more power in him saying all right you need to shut up now like him going out of his way to to take on that thing yeah you're right this is totally awesome yeah uh i also 
oh my goodness i there's when he pulls a, the when when fonda pulls out the knife and he's got the duplicate knife and he sticks it into the table just there's so many moments in this movie that just make you go Mwah, cinema you know right like just i can't believe that someone captured that moment on film like that look i know this is a play and i know that probably that moment is also in the play but the zo- the, the zoom in that single motion that goes in with a knife just at the with the camera moving just with the knife hitting the table all of that it's so impactful it's so powerful this is what movies are made for it's just like what if you put a bunch of guys in the room and when they came out there was a movie right like it's uh it's it's fabulous the thing that i think about when watching it is how every detail is front and center and meant to be noticed because there aren't that many things going on which means that everything the audience is going to pick up which means that every character needs to be doing something natural and interesting blocking wise or you need mm-hmm. to shoot it in a way where that's not a problem Both every shot natural and interesting to, yeah or it's really difficult everything needs to have character and imports that is immediately obvious you mm-hmm. just you need to be completely on your game and the effect is that it looks effortless but it must have been incredibly fucking taxing and taking mm-hmm. God knows how many takes. Or maybe everybody got in one because they all understood the assignment. But like there's just the the proficiency of and the confidence. Like this is a movie that swings its stick around, but like subtly. Under the pants. Right. Like in their big in their like they're wearing big shorts. <laughs> but like you can see the outline and see, it's when you go off on a metaphor it has to be something that's a little grody <laughs> like it's got to be something that you're like all right <laughs> yeah. when i use on a metaphor the problem is that like no one understands what i'm saying but and when with me exactly the problem is that saying. you understand what i'm yeah, saying exactly what you're saying <laughs> to a vi- visual level yeah uh, there is uh I, I almost am, am kind of daunted by this film because I watch it and I go, I mean, all right, it's perfect. It's a masterpiece. What do you want me to say? Like, I, I it's it's a I like what you came you came out of the gate with. Oh, yes, that one shot bad. And I'm like, yes, agreed. The rest of the shots are perfect. They're well framed. Um, the setup payoffs like the fan that that turns on later when the lights go on the way that they are slowly conveying the the little things that could affect this jury whether they do or not whether it's the, the guy who wants to get to his baseball game whether it's the fan that that really heats them all up that really makes them uh you know go at each other's throats whether it's uh or it's just a hot day Right, the the hot day, right? Uh, the fact that one of them it has been to that part of town and is like, well, you know, I'm, I've been around. I know that how to use a knife. Or uh, the other guy who's like, oh yeah, I worked in an apartment near the L train. It's really hard to to hear that at the you know at that time or whatever. Like those tiny things that were outside of this case's purview that, that really affected the very human moments that affect how they decide on this case are um are perfect i love how often especially in the early part half of the movie uh how often they take a moment a little farther than they need to 
if mm. one character will go off on his rants. Like, of course, you have your, your angriest jury. That, that's uh, juror number three, right? Who's yelling about, oh, they're all the same. And the kids, they never get you. And he's looking at the picture mm. of his kid. And the the scene continues. And you hear, you know, Henry Fonda talking in the background. You hear the rest of them all yelling at, at each other. But the, the camera sticks with him as he just looks at the picture of his kid. There's the scene where juror number one is like, oh, you guys try being in charge. You guys, it's not as easy as you guys think. And they're all like, well, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, whatever. And he like sits down and he's lighting a cigarette. And uh, one of the jurors says, all right, can I, can I say my piece? Is that okay? And he goes, I don't care what you do. Right? And mm-hmm. that, the camera lingers with him. The camera stays with him as everyone else is ranting. Those moments make them so human, makes them make them so fallible. It's saying our uh, – the opening shot of this movie saying, like, us, this is the strongest pillar of our government, right? Like, saying, like, this is the pillar. This is what so much of our civilization rests upon is what happens in these moments. And yet look how stupid these moments are. Look how unobjective these moments are. And I, I – I, I, and how human these people are. And whether that's a good or a bad thing um, – because it is ultimately that humanity and those small moments that redeem this boy, that or at, at least uh, give this boy a second chance. Um, it, it is certainly something that we have to grapple with as a society, and I think that this movie brings it to the forefront. Forefront. Mm-hmm. I mean, it starts by saying these are twelve angry men. These are men who are going to have to deal with that anger, and they're going in with that anger. What do you think? Uh, what will what what will come become of that? You know, what will become of this case with knowing that bias already of anger? Um, mm-hmm. I, I I love it. I think it's I think it's a perfect movie. <laughs> it's really uh, I mean, uh, spoilers, five star. It's going to be really hard to, to rank this thing. Yeah, I I mean, I'm just not fully there, but it's at the mm-hmm. point where it's like when you get when you get high enough. Like, I don't know how to elucidate why. I don't think of sure. it as highly as you. Uh-huh. Because on paper, I agree with everything you're saying. But right, right. No, there's there's just no but there. It's just just about it's just about the vibes. It's there we good, go. That's, it's a, a that's good smart vibe for me to say. In my and I always say in my household. But yeah, in my household, this was a this was one of those movies that my parents put on, and I was like, oh. I'm 10 years old. You're going to put on a black and white film? I don't want to watch black and white. It's not, it's a wonderful life. And they're like, well, you just watched this. This is a really good movie. And then I, you know, went on my iPod touch or whatever I had at the time. And then I, you know, maybe part happens that made me go, oh, okay, maybe I'll watch this part. You're playing and, your subway surfers. <laughs> and then very What was slowly, the, like the progenitor to subway, like doodle jump? Temple Sorry, run. I'm interrupting. Temple run. Oh yeah, there you go. I mean, 100%. Uh, I liked Temple Run more than Subway Surfers when Subway Surfers came out because I thought yeah. that Temple Run... Subway was... Surfers fell off ever since it was Temple Run. Please finish what you were saying. Uh, yeah, and, and and I just got really into it. And from then on, I've always remembered it as a movie that I think of as perfect. And I've rewatched it since then, I think. I don't even remember. I probably have. And I watched it again today, just or not today, but for this podcast, and I was immediately immediately brought in and immediately felt exactly the same way. It's it's an impossible film to beat for me. Um, I mean, it it will be beaten, but it's it's a it's a darn great film. 
I, I wanted to say picture I did this time. You're welcome. All right. I think that's uh, a good Did I say everything for all of us? Do you have anything else to say? No, I don't think so. It's a difficult one to talk more about than you have because it's so simple and that's what makes mm-hmm. it so effective and so watchable and yeah, easy for even a 10-year-old to be able to appreciate. Yes. Or even me, who is as intelligent as a 10-year-old. <laughs> sure, 100%. Um, if you want, if you're listening to this podcast, not for the movies, for some darn forsaken reason, then uh, go watch this movie, because this is one of the easy ones to get into, for sure. Mm. Let's talk... Let's talk the Criterion Collection rankings this week. Uh, I have these are going to be really high ranked for me, Sean. So I, it's even hard for me to go to the bottom of my list at 100. We have 181 entries into our list. I keep on saying entries to make sure that I don't say films, and you go ah 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 ah, and I go okay, fishing with Sean. Have I ever it's done that? You have. You. Uh, I think you did that for the first few. Uh, ah, you know, yeah, I guess that kind of sounds like. And me. you fall out at some, you fell out of it uh, at some point, but now I just do it out of habit. One hundred and eighty-one yeah. entries onto this list, um, and especially now we have all the WC fields in there too. It's like a lot of short films. Um, yeah, okay. So coming in pretty low just for this week, but like in general, like it's fine. Is I know where I'm going at one twenty. 128 right below the naked kiss right above the unbearable lightness of pain uh you know it's a it's a good picture uh i kind of want to watch it again but i also don't really want to watch it again i want to watch it again because i want to like it more but i have a feeling i'll be uh, i'll like it just as much it it is all right um i think that the screenplay is pretty good i think that the characters are likable uh i think that the it's shot well i think it's just hard to make higher than that for me but now let's get into let's get into some of the 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 great boys written on the wind now all the rest the other three movies this is how high we're going the other three movies are higher than all of last week are all higher than black narcissus because black narcissus is now hanging out at number 36 written on the wind is number 32 right below high and low right above the piano teacher i think written on the wind is fabulous and i think that uh, it's almost touching where uh all that heaven allows is at 20 but it's not quite there it is an amazing film and um i hope do we have more douglas sir to go through i don't know these are the only two that i know for sure are in there i'm double checking now Oh, okay. We got we got one more magnificent obsession. That's it. I'm really disappointed. I'm gonna own all three of these movies probably because th- these are great pictures. And look, if people don't study Douglas Sirk, I think that Douglas Sirk is clearly an influence on like Greta Gerwig. I mean, it, it's pretty obvious that his stuff has permeated the culture in a way that even if you're not conscious of it, has swooped into our way of thinking about media. And I think that uh, he should be studied. To sleep with anger is uh, which by the way bad title is that a bad title i don't think so i don't know what it refers to but i think it's tight it's It's like idea it's like very like the movie wake and fright 
which is mm-hmm. like an Australian outback horror movie. Like mm. it's well, I mean, obviously it has the thing of like being holy asleep. cow. You did. You could not have sold me on a movie more than everything you just said. No, it's tight, no. but it's <laughs> that sounds awesome. Like what a cool, vague title. That's just about mm. like this is a scary one, and it's kind of it weird. Sure is a title. It was a weird, scary one, and I like that. That's enough. That's enough for for some people. So to sleep with anger, yeah, number sixteen, right below shallow grave. So it should really tell you how much I love shallow grave, mm-hmm. and right above the seventh seal. I think there's this run of chunking express ch- shallow grave, sleep with anger, maybe even uncut gems, which is two above that. Uh, come and see is in the middle of there, where it's like I really champion these movies. I think these movies are amazing. I and I think they need to be talked about more, and I really put them high and. You know, I try to be whatever about this about these movies, but I I just they're just movies that I love, and I really want to get more looked at. Look at and coming in perfectly appropriately, I just realized this. At number eight is Twelve Angry Men. Holy cow! Ooh. At number eight, just like our our juror, uh, right above Sweet Smell of Success which I really grappled with where it should go in relativity to that right below M, because I think M is, is, is yeah. a, it's a little hard that. to beat, but uh, yeah, in that upper echelon, I think sweet smell of success and up that not one to nothing slot is, it's really hard to make. Those are five star masterpieces. Um, and you're mixing up my 10, my top 10 moving hoop dreams out of my top 10, uh, 12 angry men. I could not find a movie that's more suited to, to fit my top five, or to, to, to sorry, to fit my top ten, and uh, yeah, Sean, uh, bring bring it in, bring me in. Yeah, so I will let you in. I were uh, I let's try that again. I know oh, where yeah. I'm going. Similarly, coming in the lowest for me. It's at 140. It's above Ivan the Terrible parts one and two, and then below oh, wow. the Samurai, which has become my personal gatekeeper for kind of the mm. lower rungs. Sure, and. Well, okay. To Sleep With Anger, I'm sorry to say, didn't end up making it that high. Wow. It's at 121 for me. Oh, wow. You rank everything very low all the time. <laughs> That's not true at all. <laughs> well, we just rank things differently. <laughs> right. You're, I just, you're I, coming to understand that we have, I have different opinions. I'm I teaching you empathy. Time, me I, of all people. You of all people are teaching me empathy. You're very funny. Next, written on the wind. It's coming in above all that heaven allows for me. Mm-hmm. I don't know exactly why, but I am happy to say it's at number 61 in between wow. my own private Idaho and high and low, which is a great one. Wow. Near where I, I mean, I put it near high and low as well, but you put it lower. <laughs> But yeah, 12 Angry Men is just a little bit above that. It's the highest mm. one. It's at 55. It's above Fantastic mm. Planet. And I think that it's it's situated right below Raging Bull, which makes sense. You know, that one's tough wow. to beat. Yeah, that is. Wow. So that's okay. me. That's what that I is. Get. That is a that's a strong list. Um, I'll, I'll admit uh, it's pretty good. I mean, yeah, of course. Sure. Don't break it. Raging Bull. Fine. What am I going to say? No, Raging Bull's not good um that was that's awesome next week is gonna be an interesting one we gotta we gotta tackle a controversy here next week well first we got la ventura 
sure there's no controversies uh, associated with that film. Um, it's a it's a classic. We gotta see it. We gotta do it. Then we've got Rolling Stones' "Gimme Shelter." Uh, not a lot of people I know have talked about this film. I don't know anything about it. Okay, he's just gonna. Sean's just giving me the. Yep, and he's doing that. Oh, yep, what? And he's giving me the thing. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, cool. We're moving on. Uh, well, then, oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry. My bad. Next for my pick, I'm choosing the BFI's number one film of all time. The greatest. The greatest film ever made. That's right. I'm talking Citizen Gene Delman. Uh, really excited to talk about Gene Jean, Jean Delman. Uh, Gene Delman? Jean. 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 Jean Delman. 23 Commerce Quay, Quay, 1080, Bruxelles, whatever. I can't, I can't pronounce the whole thing. It's, uh, it's a long one. It's about a woman taking care of her household. Uh, I am excited to, to be able to talk about uh, the many people who seem to uh, decide that it is anti-feminist uh, to not like this movie, and the many people who have decided to be anti-feminist by not liking this movie. Um, really excited about all that stuff. Or, you know, we could just have a good time and uh, and, and watch Gene Dealman. Hey, sounds so, good. I don't know anything about any of that. Cool. I don't even know what a damn feminist is. Oh, snap. Oh, wow. I'm going to educate yeah. you. It's kind of weird. I'm the best I person to should. do that. Certainly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I can't imagine a single better person. Right, right. The most beautiful woman I know. <laughs> So for me, I want to do Steven Soderbergh's Traffic because yeah. I want to watch a nice crime drama because mm. I am feeling like the White Bill Simmons. Okay, I mean, that's a that's a bold take. You don't have to understand what that means. Uh, I'm assuming it's something to do with rewatchables. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Oh wait, I forgot. You do know about that. Uh, only because you bring it up. You actually bring it up once in a while. All right. Oh, that's true. And also, it's a movie podcast. We're we're at war with it. You know what? Get us on the rewatchables. You oh, know, my that's God. Our goal. I Next would fucking week. kill that smug piece of shit. <laughs> no, 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 no. Come on. Come on. You got to be nice. Let next I would week, rip him to shreds. Next week, I, I want go everyone listening mode. to go tweet at Bill Simmons or whatever you do at Bill Simmons. Everyone tweet at him. Bill Simmons. Everyone tweet Anthrax to Bill Simmons. No, don't do that. Just try your best to get us on the Rawatchables. It's totally going to happen. It's going to be very real, and it's going to happen. We're all <laughs> – both of those things are going to be true. Um, uh, so please, uh, with that – we're going to end our episode. Thank you all for listening. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Thank you to Tyler Frazier for editing. Uh, check us out on social media. We've got uh, – tune, tune in next week for all those movies we just talked about. Gene Dealman, uh, Traffic, The Rewatchables is going to be in there. You know, we're going to – it's gonna We're going to do a whole thing of the rewatchables. Yep, it's going to be happening. Uh, and uh, and uh, check us out on social media. We're on AnthonyReviews.com podcast. Check out AnthonyReviews.com. I just posted a new article. I did a Bill, uh, uh, Bill, Bill Simmons retrospective. <laughs> wow, I'm losing it. Oh, Jesus, I'm sorry. <laughs> a Tim Burton retrospective. Uh, and you can check that out, AnthonyReviews.com everything be sure to make sure you subscribe because otherwise check out everything 
because otherwise you don't get uh, reviews as they're posted, you get them way later, make sure you subscribe at anthonyreviews.com. And, as always... Hey guys, I'm really sorry if you heard like a lot of clicking and clacking the past couple of episodes. Uh, I've been playing Doom Eternal the entire time, so... Oh, sorry, I mean Fortnite. Robert Stacks, another crazy name. We need to bring back names. We need to bring back names like Rock Hudson and Robert Stack and and Ro- Catherine uh, Hepburn. Catherine uh, Lauren Bacall? Are you kidding me? Oh fuck! I mixed him up again, didn't <laughs> yeah, I? Yeah, you did. You did. I'm sorry. Fuck! I, that needs to stop happening. Did I say I it love- earlier too? No, I don't. Or did I, I call don't her Lauren? Think Bacall? so. I think you actually did did it right the first time. I love no. the Criterion cast list because I always wonder how they decide on this is what the cast list is going to be. Is it just they look at the credits, whatever? Because there's also just a list of like, as reporter, brunette, mm-hmm. blonde, secretary, right? And brunette is played by Joan Jordan. That that's quite a name. So, I just wanted to point that out. And then the blonde is played by Danny Crane. How about that? D-A-N-I? Yeah, D-A-N-I. Crane. With a, wait, is it? Crane with a Y. Wait, D-A... Wait, D-A-N-I. Is it D-A-N-I space C-R-A-Y-N-E. Crane. Whoa! That's, I mean, that. there you go. You got. See, you initially got, I was like, ooh, I don't know, but that's pretty crazy when you spell And that's a girl name? That's a girl. That's a that's a girl's name. <laughs> yep. I've been thinking about girl names recently, trying to come up with them. Okay, I I want to hear a pitch. Like Sugar Spice. Mmm. That like, that'd be a cool name. That is certainly uh, a name. It, yeah. I, so I was thinking about a a a character like um. Hold on. Hold on, it's act- this is actually way more difficult than you think it is. Mm-hmm. Like when you when you first try. Oh, hold on, I gotta say that I'm an adult. Um, like Renegade Links. No, okay. Uh, uh, what was that? No, I just I <laughs> I can laugh. Like, I just don't know when you're done. Like, <laughs> sorry. Oblivion- <laughs> you saved it. All right. I was trying to come find some names of female Fortnite characters. Oh, and it is. See, I don't know too many Fortnite characters' names. I just no, know Billy. They all look fake. I I was like, okay, is this like a f- character? Sunflower. Like, if you Google Fortnite characters, the first thing is Sunflower. Is that a mm-hmm. is that a character or is that just a skin's name? So then I looked at the the fandom list of characters. But of course, the fandom list of characters, has, of course, if you log into the Fortnite fandom, they have to ask you whether you're an adult or not before viewing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I had to do that. And then I'm looking through the list, and I'm like, I don't know if this, if Tet is Tess like a character. Are we really like crazy about Tess? Remedy? Ooh, wait, that's actually a pretty good one because she's like. A Ooh, human. Remedy's a crazy girl. Remedy's name. pretty good. Can you imagine if a girl is like? You're you're going into college and everybody's going around giving their name. She's like, you know, and so it was like, okay, Claire fucking Williamson. She's like, oh, I go by Remedy actually. I'd be like, whoa, 
I'd be like, yep, uh, yep, you're way out of my league. The end. <laughs> yes. Guess I'm never gonna interact with you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Again, like not well, not again, but just purely, you're out of my league in terms of like I can talk to you. Right, right, right. I just not can't. even in a romance. That's not crossing. Not even romance. No, 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 no. Just in a in a like. I don't deserve. Uh, my name's Anthony. Like in comparison, yeah. like you're sorry, you're too remedy, interesting. Yeah, you're gonna you gotta uh, interact with someone like an an obsidian or something. I don't know. Oh, fuck. that's a good Dude, like male uh, version of that. <laughs> oh, rat, I see. A, you know, to me, obsidian like a, is like a goth envy. Okay, all right, that's pretty good. Sure. Like slightly mask presenting. Slightly mask presenting. Yeah. Okay. All right. I get you. Uh, so, I think that uh, it's important that we got into that, though. I think written on the wind I think it is really, really prompted it. Um, it. This bit is too bad. Cut a lot of it, please. Cut what you feel. Don't cut all of it. No, I just said a lot of it, not sure. all. Sure. Oh, sure. 